Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of Talk of the Hound, a podcast from Theatre Hound. Theatre Hound is a new, unique theatre website launching next year, which looks at the art and business of theatre from a multitude of angles. I'm your host, Wes Braver, and I'm here to talk to all kinds of people whose work makes theatre so compelling today. So for our first interview, I sat down with Max Vernon, a veritable rising star in the new musical theatre world. Max is a triple threat musical theatre writer, which means he writes music, book, and lyrics, as he did on his off-Broadway debut show, The View Upstairs. But he also collaborates, as he did on the highly acclaimed K-pop last year, where he co-wrote songs with Helen Park and Jason Kim wrote the book. Now, Max's shows are often extremely political and direct, so I started off by asking him about that. Well, my two new shows, The Tattooed Lady and Show and Tell, have both been written in the last six months. Yeah. So, like, it's not the same way where it's like I wrote this thing and then the world changed rapidly and then I had to figure out, like, how to respond to it. It's like those were both written in a less innocent time, I guess, mm-hmm. where it's like I know that the world is, like, really awful now. And yeah. so I'm just going to write about things in a different way. But, yeah, I mean, with The View Upstairs and k-pop i definitely feel like we were responding to what was happening in the world as it was happening k-pop was a huge hit off broadway last year which max co-wrote the songs for it was a musical but it shared some dna with immersive site-specific shows like sleep no more where you're walking around and different things are happening to you in different rooms we changed some of the politics of k-pop as all this shit was going down with north korea i certainly changed the view upstairs many times to respond um, to what happened at Pulse and Trump being elected and gay marriage being legalized. And yeah, I so, mean, the lyric from the future is great. Went from like, gay marriage will be legal any day now that I'm sure. What's better, you can shop online for discount hoka tour to <laughs> gay marriage now is legal, but in four years, who can say? If you get depressed, you'll shop online for discount Gautier. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm sure one day it'll be gay marriage once was legal, now we live in prison camps. Um, once upon a time we looked beautiful now we're tramps I don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 I asked Max what changes they'll be making before the next iteration especially considering what's been happening on the Korean peninsula in the past year so like the boy band narrative of fate where they had um, this kind of like white biracial American singer who couldn't speak Korean that was mm-hmm. being brought into the group to become the new lead singer like that was definitely all a metaphor for like the divide between North and South Korea I mean they even draw a line down the middle of the theater and told you like mm-hmm. which side do you stand on mm-hmm. and, um, and you know it was about nationalism and, and all of the and militarism and all of that I don't think in the new version of K-pop that that narrative is going to be as essential mm-hmm. or like as privileged I don't know. K-pop 2.0 is going to be a very, very different show than K-pop 1.0. Both structurally, in terms of the characters that are in the show, like there's going to be a bunch of new characters, some old characters are getting cut, um, some new music, um, a new structural layout of how we experience the piece. Yeah, so is it not, I mean, is it going to be immersive still? Are we still going to walk around? It's still going to be immersive, um, for sure. I think we're trying to figure out how we can create an experience that's immersive and still has Easter egg experiences where audience members can be pulled off to have one-on-ones but still be relatively contained in one room versus um, being on three different floors and 40 different rooms at all the action happening simultaneously. Is it really 40 different rooms? It was when we were at Ars Nova, yeah. 
So the characters in this show who play K-pop singers often turn to the audience and ask hard questions directly. In one particular moment, the boy band is discussing if they want to stick with their current sound or if they want to cross over into a more American sound. They draw a literal line in the theater and ask the audience what they would do. Yeah, I still remember which side of the line I stood on. That was, I mean, things like that, re- because yeah, if you have you to on? make an actual choice. Um, I don't remember the names, but I was definitely on like the pro Korea side. Yeah, Oracle. I mean, yeah, yeah, Oracle. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I, sure. Yeah, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> I always was on Oracle side too. I, I really sympathize with him and think he's cool. Also, I just think that actor is attractive and I wanted to be close to him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we want, so we're doing a lot of rewrites because, you know, we got this Richard Rogers Award, which gives us the opportunity to. The Richard Rogers Awards subsidize full productions, studio productions, and staged readings by nonprofit theaters in New York City of works by composers and writers who are not already established in the field. I think we want to be really responsive to what we accomplish in our first uh, workshop production of that show and uh, just make it even better. You Was that designated as a workshop or are you now because there's another thing being like, that was a workshop? That. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The View Upstairs was written entirely by Max. It's about a 1970s arson attack on a New Orleans gay bar that was the deadliest incident for that community up until the recent Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. In the two years since the show debuted at the Lynn Redgrave Theater, it's been published and is now being produced all around the world, first at the Richmond Triangle Players and now in Australia and Atlanta. And in June 2019, it'll be at the Good Company Theater in Utah got licensed for a theater in utah which i think is like so amazing hell yeah utah. even the people at san french were like extremely surprised they were like <laughs> we don't usually get sinful shows being licensed in these parts of the world is that is that one of the tags like you're looking on samuel french it's like i'm looking for sinful. like a something sinful no i can just see like a theater teacher like, but also utah. a theater that um in october is gonna be doing my show in atlanta like i met that artistic director and he said that you know when they did rent a couple years ago they had like tons of protesters like religious protesters protesting rent and i'm like just wait like yeah great once my show's down there they're gonna like <laughs> i don't know what they're gonna do um but yeah it's exciting to me especially when it's in these uh, different regional communities where it doesn't feel like it's preaching to the converted but mm-hmm. actually has to convert some people doing work yeah yeah and doing some work especially before the midterms like that's really exciting to me. that's so interesting to me because when i think about like what we're doing as as theater artists particularly what you're talking about there, that Utah production is maybe has the potential to change more minds than the off-Broadway run, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's actually much more interesting to me. Like, I I look, I love, I'm, I deeply love K-pop. I'm so excited about that show. Um, I would love for it to go to Broadway. I would love for, like, amazing things to happen with it. Um, as a activist, as someone who's, like, really interested in the intersection between art and politics, I will say that, like, my heart is still a little bit more invested in the view upstairs um because it's so personal to me but also because i do feel like it can have that kind of impact which is not to say that like k-pop isn't having its own impact like in the same way crazy rich asians i feel like showing that um you know asian performers um can be these roles that have major economic power and and social power and influence um is correcting a lot of damaging perceptions of of that community and so like that is really useful and exciting but um it compared to the view upstairs which is like raised fist like angry political Mm -hmm. ranting it's it's much more escapist um 
I would like to think that, I mean, I was originally a visual artist and then the reason I gave up visual art is that I hated the idea that the, the ultimate success, market success in visual art was if someone buys your work and then it's never seen again. Mm-hmm. It's just like in some rich person's house. Mm-hmm. And I, I want my art to be consumed and I want to at least like lie to myself and say that it has an impact or believe that it has an impact, you know? And like we opened in Virginia. I had this like line at the end of that show where it's talking about how like the KKK is marching again and you know, all white supremacy and blah, blah, blah. And uh, a bunch of people were telling me, you know, you have to take that out. That's too ranty. You're just hitting us over the head. That's not happening, blah, blah, blah. And then the first production that got licensed after New York was Virginia. And we opened a day after the KKK In rally yeah. that happened yeah. there. So that ended up having like a huge political impact that was unintended, but definitely resonated with that audience in a different way. So um, I believe in that. I hope that that's true. And how much do you write with that in mind? Like, like when you wrote The View Upstairs, I'm, I'm sure you knew, like, okay, I'm living in New York. This will probably go up first in New York. But were you thinking this is going to go regional? Or was that kind of an after effect of it? I think with The View Upstairs, I just thought it would never be produced, period. Like, I didn't <laughs> think it would be produced in New York or regional. And this started as your NYU thesis. Yeah. Yeah. I was just writing it in terms of wanting to have an outlet for myself of looking at the world and feeling like so many things were busted and wanting to understand my own history and how there's so many people in our generation who are so ambivalent about what's going on. And um, just looking at how our society has gone from relationships being, you know, over the past 60 years, transformational to being transactional and, um, yeah, like wanting to give voice to my angst about that. So like I'm a very political person and so that just kind of like fed into the piece in that in that way. And then as I said, as all these like crazy things happened, like Pulse and Trump getting elected, I felt like I had to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And also like we opened we were the first show to open after the Trump's Trump's election. Or at least we were the first one that I knew. Like, you know, I'm sure there was some like Irving Berlin you know who cares show somewhere but like in new york but like i knew that we were going to be the first show to like respond to the election and so we did what was what was opening night uh we opened in february okay yeah so like end of february yeah and it wasn't until a year later or like six months later that you started to have you know shankins building the wall or whatever that was called and you know um even sweat hadn't happened yet and all Mm -hmm. these shows that were you know, starting to respond to that. So I was like, I want to get in there. I want to, cause like, so much of what bothers me about theater is that things are so expensive and they have such a long developmental process, especially with musical theater that by the time you see something on stage, it often feels like it's 10 years behind what act, the totally. event that actually occurred. Totally. And you know, some people dinged me and maybe they felt like, you know, I like, you know, half-heartedly or half-hazardly rewrote some parts of my show just to like reflect what was happening in that moment. And oh, like, God forbid you would and like, to respond. Maybe, maybe that's like true, but like I would rather have responded because yeah. um, that was really exciting yeah. to be able to respond to something in real time. And um, I think artists should do that. Do you think they have a responsibility or do you feel a responsibility to? I, per- I, don't, I can't speak for everyone. I personally do. I mean, if someone's going to pay a lot of money to see one of my shows because my tickets are expensive and theater is expensive, um, I want to be able to say that I'm going to give them something that's like really relevant to their lives and uh you know we live in this world so why not respond to it sure 
So talk to me about Tattooed Lady now, because this view upstairs, you wrote most of it well before the Trump era or whatever. Yeah. And but now you're really writing. You said yeah. this is the past six months. Yeah, the past six months. And uh, yeah, Tattooed Ladies are like deeply fascinating to me. There's been other shows on the circus and the freak show. Um, but they're always focused on the freaks that just had like genetic deformities, which is not interesting to me because it really just reflects. Um, I mean, it's aesthetically interesting to me, but it just reflects a lack of access to medicine, right? Like the tattooed lady is the only freak who actually chose to make herself a freak and to do this radical act that would then turn them into a social pariah and get them cut off from quote unquote respectable society. And I think that is what I've done with my own life in so many ways, you know, like I, I, uh, so much of my life, like when I was 14 in this pre-Lady Gaga world, wearing makeup and showing up to school wearing kimonos, like I made myself a target, but that was my truth and I wanted to live my truth. And so I relate to these women. Um, and so, yeah, I want to tell their story. Um, I think they, once again, I'm like really turned on, like you know, the history of the upstairs lounge fire. I'm really turned on by forgotten histories and giving voice to things that have been made invisible. And like, tattooed ladies did so much to like push our culture forward. I mean, they started in an era in 1880 in which women could not even expose their ankles, and these women were wearing bathing suits uh, to show full body coverage. So, on a practical level, you know, the millions of people who went to these sideshows and circuses. Um, them seeing tattooed ladies was one of the first way that like men and women saw women's bodies mm -hmm. period in our culture um, so like they did so much um, pioneering work in terms of sexuality in terms of um, pushing the taboos or breaking taboos um, you know in our, our conscious social consciousness I mean like women to have even one tattoo you would have been seen as a prostitute or a harlot you know um but nowadays, like, you see so many people, like, have tattoos, like, all the time, especially where I'm at in Brooklyn. Like, the majority of people have at least one, if not, like, many, many more tattoos. Um, and yet we don't know these women, you know? Like, Nora Hildebrandt, when she died, I think there were 20 wax replicas of her body in museums all around the world, and she was being paid the modern-day equivalent of, like, $25,000 a week to perform. She was a major celebrity, and no one knows who she is. Um... I'm also obsessed with Artoria Gibbons, who is still performing well into her late 70s in the freak show. Um, and, you know, they would call her the great monstrosity, and she was always deeply offended by that because she saw herself as beautiful. And she was beautiful. Um, so, yeah, and there's a good chance that by the time that show opens, you know, maybe Roe v. Wade won't exist anymore, right? We're in this era of, like, war on women being able to, like, make decisions on their own bodies, and so I think the story of women choosing to do something radical and incredible with their bodies is, like, super exciting to me. So in, in your story of it, I understand that you go through a long, nearly a century or more than yeah, a century period yeah. of following these women. Um, is there is there like mod are there modern tattooed ladies or no i mean there are there's there just, are a number of ladies who are tattooed no, those, in the world there's old artoria gibbons who i think is 81 at the start of the show mm -hmm. and so we get like the sad freak show from 1980 that's like lost its former glory and we see the modern era through that lens but um I'm much more interested about the period of time between 1880 and like 1950.
Mm-hmm. That's where like the story primarily exists. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's an all-female ensemble of eight women who play all the roles, all the male characters huh. too. Huh. And then we're figuring out how to like Lion King that shit, how to make because tattoos. To see a tattoo back in eighteen eighty would be the equivalent of seeing like a naked person on the street douse themselves in gasoline and light themselves on yeah. fire. I yeah. mean, it was radical. And so we need to figure out how to make the tattoos radical again. And so we're trying to figure out through magical stagecraft or dancing um, or sculpture or projection, how can we make the tattoos literally jump off these women's bodies and fill up an entire stage and become very theatrical again. Do you think about that musically too? Like how, yes. how did how do those Yes, talk well, I mean, about that? Totally. Well I have a song in the show called Are You Done Yet that has all the women on stage from over a hundred year period of time existing on the same time plane uh-huh. uh being, it's assassins but with tattooed like being tattooed it's assassins but like well written and <laughs> um being tattooed and they're the whole song is created from the noises they make from when they're penetrated by the needle so it's like if in uh, like 1880 huh. someone's penetrated with a needle and they go ah then uh, a woman in something. 1950 is penetrated with a needle and she goes ah and so the whole song is made up of like, ah, 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 ah. It's like they're all in different time periods responding to each other. And then like the beat drops in and that gets layered. And then all the voices are echoing. And that's creating this kind of like weird, interesting, experimental, theatrical song. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm very interested in that. And then maybe in certain songs, having drum beats where like there are certain noises that are made by like the sounds of drills or, um, yeah. I'm definitely interested in that. Huh. Do you musicalize certain tattoos? Like, like, I don't know. Are there totally? Kind of. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, that was something that was like really exciting too. Of like, um, yeah. Depending on what the style of the tattoo is, that the music reflecting what that is. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, are how, you just said the beat dropped in, which is not a thing from <laughs> 1880 no, to 1950 no. so much but but yeah i mean realism kind of is never realism is not important to me yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like i don't care that is not my mission statement so yeah i mean the score is it's rock and roll it's circusy it's carnival-esque but then there's like weird meredith monk shit going on you know and like ex- lots of experimental stuff and electronica and i kind of just like i stir it all together into some kind of weird jambalaya and that's what it is if you want to hear more of that wonderful jambalaya, I highly suggest checking out Max's website at maxvernon.com. And the cast album for The View Upstairs is also widely available on Spotify, iTunes. In the meantime, have a listen to Waste of Ink, a new song from The Tattooed Lady, which Max premiered recently at Joe's Pub. I want to make my 
That's it for today's Talk of the Hound. Be sure to subscribe to hear from more incredible folks in the theater. And we'd love to hear from you, so please follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Theater Hound and join the conversation. <laughs>